welcome to the You on the Camino podcast for and about first-time pilgrims on the Camino de Santiago in Spain with your host, guide, and longtime pilgrim, Nancy Reynolds of the Camino Experience. Hi, this is Nancy, and I am delighted to be with Abby Samuels from Santa Cruz, California. Hi, Abby. Hi, Nancy. I'm so happy you decided to join me to talk about your upcoming walk on the Camino de Santiago. How are you feeling? Are you excited? I'm, I have a mixture of excitement, a little trepidation, and a little anxiety. It comes and goes. Mm. Have you heard that all of that is normal? <laughs> Makes sense. I, I, it's like I want to know everything on my first trip, which it takes sometimes people many trips to know what is the perfect thing to bring, et cetera. And I feel like I want to know it all now. <laughs> I completely understand that. And I will say it took me about eight years to figure out my boots. Wow. Yeah. So you are probably ahead of the curve. And we're going to talk in a little bit about how you got so far ahead of the curve on your planning and packing and all of that. But first, Abby, would you share with our listeners when you're going to walk the Camino and what route, where you're starting and how long you're going to be out there? Sure. Love to. So I am leaving on September 11th, this about auspicious day. And I just got the cheapest flight to Europe, which might not have been the greatest idea, but I really want to spend more time in Portugal. So I ended up in Lisbon. And then it takes me about two days to get to my starting point or so. That I was kind of surprised at. So I'm starting at St. Jean uh, de Pierre and Camino Frances. Saint Jean Pied du Port. I'm not sure that's the right way to say it. To be honest, that's that's my my terrible French, but it means Saint John Foot of the Pass. Foot of the Pass. I know Pie is foot. Okay. So you're starting in Saint Jean Pied du Port. Yes. And I hope to go all the way to the Atlantic Ocean, which would include Finistre and Muxia. Excellent. And that point that you just mentioned that starts with an F has a couple different names that it goes by. One is a Galician name, which is Fistera. And the other is the Spanish pronunciation, which is Finistere, which means the end of the world. So you're going to go to the end of the world. Finistera. Yes. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. Don't you live at the end of the world in the United States? In Santa Cruz? Sort of. Maybe it would look like that. Yeah. Maybe because of the bay. I don't I don't know. I have to look at a map. I guess so. I'm thinking when pioneers crossed the United States, they got out to California and the ocean. And some of them were probably in your neighborhood. Probably. How long will you be on the Camino? Good question. I know the dates, but I don't know exactly. So I think it's like 35, 37 days, something like that. Mm. Approximately that. How did you decide how much time you would take for it? Plane flights. I knew when I wanted to leave and I wanted to get as much time as I could. And with uh, okay from my, because I'm still working, I'm taking time off which is 
not usually easy to get, but I was able to get it. And I think that's part of the reason is, yeah, that, that I think that answers your question. <laughs> so what is it that called you or tapped you on the shoulder and said, this would be a good idea. Take 35 days and walk across Spain. How did you get to that point? Well, I heard about it probably about nearly 20 years ago. Someone did part of it, probably Saria, the small, small portion to Camino de Santiago. And I heard about it and it just, I looked it up and I, I said, someday that's on my bucket list. And then I met someone this year who had done it recently and the travel bug, it just has everything I want in traveling, which is meeting people. And I don't have to, I'm not in the wilderness where I have to carry all my water for days, all my food for days. So that is reasonable amount on my back that I feel comfortable carrying. So it just sounded perfect for what I wanted. Have you done those types of trips where you have to carry everything, a tent and a stove and all your food? I have, but it's only been for like four or five days. So this is not that, and this is not that in a couple ways. So you're going to be doing something really unique and different that you haven't done anything like before, it sounds like. Exactly. Exactly. Is that where the trepidation comes in? No. Anytime I leave, I always try to think of everything I need. I want my house in perfect order, you know, because I think I was trained by someone to say, when you go away, imagine that you will be so changed that your life, when you come back, every, you don't have to deal with bills and deal with stuff in your life. So I like to clean up everything before I go on any trip. And so I haven't done that. I have so many things to still do. And I'm trying to get to that place where I can feel good about leaving and coming back a new person, so to speak. Wow. What an exciting prospect to come back a new person. Do you have any thoughts on who you want that person to be or what your intentions of the trip are that may lead to that new person? A couple things. I feel in the United States, we have become a society of go, 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 work, 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 People don't sit outside their house and and sit on their porch and wave to the neighbors. You don't see that here. And and I miss I, I miss that, you know, when I have traveled in other places, and it's partially because I'm traveling and I'm on vacation, but also you see in other countries where people sit out on their porch and they they say hi to people passing by. I think that's beautiful. And we're missing that in our culture. We're missing friendships and, you know, that type of thing, because people are so busy just trying to survive in this chaotic insanity of country, in my opinion. (laughs) Well, that brings to mind for me something that I think you're going to love in Spain. You talked about meeting people. I think you might have been referring mostly to meeting other pilgrims, but I want to share with you and with our listeners that one of the reasons Spain is my favorite place is because it seems like every evening around five o'clock, the entire town comes out 
I'm thinking specifically of Pamplona, which you'll pass through on your third or fourth day. And there's a big Plaza Mayor, which is the main square. And all of the seniors, the the older people come and sit on the benches on the perimeter of the plaza. And the kids are in the middle of the plaza playing ball and riding scooters and playing with their friends and running like crazy. And the adults are gathered in groups and they're talking and maybe having a smoke and They do that for an hour or so, and it's the most beautiful thing to me that the community is out and visible. Yeah. You know, that's really interesting that you say that, Nancy. When I was in Peru, I noticed something very similar. They always have these squares or churches where the community gathers, where what I've noticed in the U.S., they're taking more and more of those public spaces away. It's the opposite. We're going the opposite direction. And so we see more and more concrete where we used to have a town square, it's gone. But the part of the reason is, is leaving that, leaving that energy and going to a place where they have more love for people, so to speak. Yeah. And it seems to me they have a different, I won't say better or stronger, but a different sense of community. And it looks different and more visible than what I'm accustomed to in the United States. And I can see you bringing that energy back with you. I don't know what I'm going to bring back because I'll tell you what I haven't, what I'm not concerned about, but I wonder if maybe when I go there that I'm not want that I'm not going to want to come back. You wouldn't be the first. And I might just, you know, it might be that type of thing. It just feels like it's time. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see. I would love to talk with you when you get back, or I should say when you finish, because you might not come back. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see where you are geographically when you get finished. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you've heard the saying, the Camino begins when you reach Santiago. And I have different opinions on that. I think the Camino begins the moment you say yes, but let's just say the Camino doesn't end in Santiago. Right. You said something a few minutes ago that I'd like to ask you about, and that is you use the phrase, which is, I think it's very much used in America, possibly more than other countries, and that's the bucket list. Would you talk with us a little bit about how the Camino is different from other items on your bucket list? Huh. I have to really think about that. But usually things on my bucket list might be go see this, go do that. But this is so much more inclusive. It's not about just seeing sightseeing something. You know, you sometimes you see such an amazing, beautiful place and you go, I'd love to go there someday. But on the other hand, Bali's on my bucket list, and I think it's about the people. I don't think I want to go to a place where I don't wouldn't feel welcome. That's a good guideline. Yeah. This feels just a little different because it's more of a journey. Yeah. I like to hear what people say about the Camino relative to their bucket list, because I I have had that same impression that a bucket list is something you check off, check off, check off, we're done. Oh, no. And if the Camino is something that 
doesn't ever seem to end for so many people. I wonder how it relates to a bucket list. It's just a question I have. That's a good thing. And now that you say it, I don't like bucket lists, (laughs) the way you phrase it, because I don't want to just check something off that seems so shallow. Let's just, it reminds me, you know, I'm a hiker and it reminds me, I used to laugh all the time when people would get to a peak, then they go, oh, now we have to go to the next peak. And then we get to the next peak. And then I heard the term, I might say it wrong. It's been a while, but something like, peak bagging, where you're just like checking off all these peaks. (laughs) It's like, you don't get time to enjoy the peak. Just like, oh man, I did three peaks in one day. I did four peaks in one day. (laughs) It leans towards more of the accomplishment part of it than the journey part of it to me. Yes. And the Camino is a challenge when you know that you're doing I, I think it's 500 and what is it? 70 miles. If you do Muxia and if you go all the way to the coast. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I've never done anything like that. So it is a challenge, but I wouldn't say, I feel like I'm going to cross it off because I could see myself the next year doing another route and just continuing doing different routes and meeting people all over the place. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? And I wish people could see your smile right now. (laughs) I'd like to ask you to go back with me to your beginning, to the starting point in Saint-Jean. Imagine yourself there walking the pretty cobblestone streets and it's bustling with pilgrims because you're starting, you're starting the second week in September, September being the busiest month of the year in Saint-Jean. Fortunately, you're you're off the first week, so you should be okay with crowds. Imagine, though, you're standing there, and there's pilgrims bustling around. You've got your backpack on. You're loaded, ready to go, and you're looking at that mountain. What are you thinking and feeling? Here we go. <laughs> that part I'm not so concerned about because I hike. and. It always looks intense at the beginning, if that's what many people will think. But while you're doing it, you just put one foot ahead of each other and pretty soon you're there. I mean, that's what it's like when I hike here. I just like, I don't look, oh my God, I have to go all the way up there. I can't look at that. Otherwise, I don't think I'd hike. (laughs) Well, that could be the thing. If you spend too much time thinking about all 570 miles you may never take your first step. Right. (laughs) Isn't that funny? Let's not think about that till till we're there in the middle of it. Right. You've been working hard. I've been observing. I've seen some of your posts on Facebook about packing and getting ready. And will you share with us what your process has been and what types of things you've been doing to get ready to go? Right. So the best thing that I found was the Facebook groups. And also you gave me, when we spoke previously, you gave me some great tips. So speaking to people who've done the Camino, but the Facebook groups, you can just wake up at three in the morning. Do I bring this or do I bring my sleeping pad, my sleeping liner and my sleeping bag? Okay. Let me ask that question. What's the answer? What's the answer? Of course, you're going to get like 30, 40, 50 different answers. 
but they give you food for thought, you know, because a lot of people will explain, well, I bring this and then you get, well, no, I bring this each day. I think, which should I take out? Should I take out the sleeping liner? I'm either going to keep them both or take out the sleeping liner because I heard it does get, if I was going in the middle of the summer, I probably wouldn't bring the sleeping bag, but I'm going where it might start getting cold in October. So I just might bring the sleeping bag and it opens up into a quilt if I need it. So I'm going back and forth and I might take both still, even though people said, don't take them, don't take both. It's so funny. It is one of the biggest debates or the biggest discussions is this item or that item, sleeping bag or sleeping liner, poncho or rain jacket. And there's a handful of things that are like that. On my first Camino, I took a sleeping bag and I sleep warm. So it was the worst. I just sweated all night long and ever since then carried a liner, regardless of the time of year, because many of the albergues, I think you're staying in the albergues or pilgrims hostels, yes? At least at the beginning, I'll see if I'm able to, I know I'll be sleep deprived. I'm going to check it out, but I have reservations at those places at the beginning. And in my experience, they all have blankets available. So if you have a sleeping bag liner, you can use their blankets. It's so personal. That's the thing. It's so personal. You can take all that food for thought like you described it. And then ultimately, you have to decide what's best for you. Exactly. Another one is hat or buff. What is it? Buff. Buff. So I had the perfect hat. And then someone mentioned, no, don't bring anything that you can't use for multiple things. That's what I learned on the Camino. Only bring something that you can use for more than one thing. So buff can be used as a net warmer, a hat, mask. There's so many things it can be used for. And the same thing for, should I bring a sarong or a dress? Oh, definitely a sarong because then you can hang it up. And if you're in a bottom bunk bed, you could put it under the mattress of the top bunk and then you have a little privacy. So what do I do? I go buy a nicer sarong than the one I had. It's a little lighter weight. That's prettier. Ay, ay, ay. But I still want to keep my black little dress. So now I have two items. I don't know. (laughs) It's definitely a rabbit hole. You could go on and on and on. And I'm just envisioning you boarding your plane on September 11th, because otherwise this could go on for months. It It could go on forever. Oh, there's a new thing came out that is even lighter. That's three ounces lighter. Oh, I've got to get that. Yes, it's a ongoing process. It's a rabbit hole for sure. The buff thing, you know, I've never used one. I'm a hat girl. Go figure, we're all different. One thing I learned this past year on the Camino is the importance of a wide brim hat to protect against the sun. We had two heat waves in May and June that gave us July caliber weather. And if you didn't have a wide brim hat, you were doomed. And for me, I don't like wearing hats. I mean, brim hats. I like just wearing hats to keep me warm. I usually am out in the sun. And I, so far, I I don't know, maybe because I have olive skin, my skin can handle it more than others. I, I don't know. Well, this is a perfect example of how personalized it is. Exactly. You do a lot of stuff locally, it looks like. You do a lot of volunteering and really working closely with the communities in Santa Cruz. 
And I bet you bring a really strong skill set to that. What skill set are you bringing? What I like to call it a superpower. What's the one thing that's really getting this planning going for you and getting you prepared for the Camino? I would say I'm a very resourceful person and I'll figure out the answer. Uh, I'll figure out how I'm going to get that answer. If I, if I need whatever it is, I've got to figure that out. Either it's from different people, from, you know, looking on the internet, from thinking about it for a while. I, I usually will figure things out. So maybe you could say that is a superpower. I don't know. <laughs> what I've learned in my years on the Camino is that some people are really good at some things and other people are really not good at those things. Yes. I want to get more in touch with my spontaneous self. And actually, you mentioned, have you ever done anything like, like this? And I completely forgot. I did this when I was 25 years old. I backpacked all over Europe for two years. I so much loved it. And the reason I loved it was because I, and also I'm younger. And so, you know, it's a different situation when you're younger and you meet all these young people and, you know, they're, it's a different thing when you get older. And that's that spontaneity that I want to get more in touch with where I didn't know where I was going from one moment to the next. And I know it's a little more difficult in the Camino because it's more crowded and people are worried, am I going to get a bed tonight? And so those are the kind of, that's probably the the biggest thing that I'm not looking forward to is I was hoping that I could just end up, I'm tired, I'm going to just want to stay here and plan until that minute. Let's talk about that because that might be possible. Tell us, if you would, your plan for accommodations from St. Jean for the first bit. Have you booked the first few days? So I immediately booked two nights in St. Jean because I'm going to be arriving there late one evening. Well, probably late afternoon. After those two nights, I reserved Bordeaux. And then I reserved, I don't have anything reserved after that because I was told by you, I believe <laughs> that I shouldn't have to worry about staying at Roncesvalles. Roncesvalles, because they have 200 beds or so. So I shouldn't have to worry about getting a place there. And I probably won't get there too late because I'll be ahead of the people leaving from St. John. Exactly. Let me clarify that for our listeners. So because you're staying at Alberge Borda, yes. what you're doing is you're cutting the walk from St. Jean to Roncesvalles into two days. So when you leave Borda, you will be three hours ahead of all the pilgrims who started in St. Jean. Some of those will already have reservations in Roncesvalles, but the bulk of them will be doing what you're doing, just walking and turning up. And so you very likely will be at the albergue in Roncesvalles when they open, which, if I remember correctly, is two o'clock. Okay. And you being, you being such an avid hiker and probably yeah. a strong hiker, you're going to be up walking by 8 a.m. most likely because there's, there's no town for you to visit. There's no place to go out and see. So what most people do is they get up 
they have breakfast and they start walking. And then they take however long they take to go that distance to Roncesvalles. Right. And there are some places that I'm really excited to stay at, but I don't know when I'll get there. So I can't reserve. So I think I'm going to try to reserve when I think that I'm coming up to that place. I might just have a list of places and where they are in the, what do you call it from point A to point B? The stages? Stages. One of the things that I've noticed in my years on the Camino is that you always can book ahead, but whether or not you need to is something you often don't know until you get there. So people will book their first few days to ensure that at that very busy place, sometimes referred to as a bottleneck from Saint-Jean de Pamplona, then they know they have a bed and they don't have to rush. They can take their time. But then after Pamplona, people start to spread out and it could be you don't have to reserve. Right. What happens in St. John is big groups of people go start the first week or so in September up and over the hill, but the size of the crowd varies from day to day. So sometimes you'll get in with a big crowd and you'll be racing to find a bed. And sometimes the big crowd will be just ahead of you or just behind you. And you don't have to worry about it. You can just show up. You won't know until you get there. Right. And I, at some point, I'd love to get recommendations for your favorite place in Pamplona. Oh, my goodness. I, yes, I could give you some recommendations. There's a place that I stay, and I'll email this to you, but I'll share it with my listeners. This is a place I've been staying for at least 12 years. It's called Pension Escaray. E-S-C-A-R-A-Y. And what I love about it is it's in this old building with beautiful creaky wooden floors. And it's run by this wonderful woman named Rosa. She's been serving the pilgrims for years and years and years. And you can get a small private room with a shared bathroom down the hall for 25 euros. All right. In the historic center of Pamplona, two streets away from the Camino itself. I'm there. I figure out which day. So can I get from Ross? Let me try to pronounce this again. Ross says. Ron says Valles. Ron says Valles. And can I get from Ron says Valles to Pamplona? You can get there in one day. It's a 40 kilometer walk actually about 42-kilometer walk, which comes out to about 20-something miles. Okay. My recommendation for people is not to do that. And the reason I recommend that is because, well, especially if it's important to you to meet people and make friends, and some people love to look for a Camino family, the first three days are where you meet those people. And if you do a 40-kilometer stage, you're going to lose everybody you just met. Mm. And the other thing about that is for some people, going uphill is really hard. And for others, going downhill is really hard. And the descent from the topmost point of the Pyrenees down into Roncesvalles is quite steep. And by the time people reach Roncesvalles, they're usually pretty beat. And then they, they sleep there. And they get reinvigorated and then they start walking. And then 
that next day, you've got a lot more downhill. And so it's actually quite a challenging day. Many people say Roncesvalles to Zubiri is more physically taxing than going over the Pyrenees. Oh. Yeah. What I would recommend is if you're going to stay in Zubiri is to book a place in advance in Zubiri because that is the bottleneck of bottlenecks. And there's a wonderful albergue there that gets wonderful reviews. You've heard of it. It's called Casa Susea. 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 And they serve vegan or vegetarian. Do you know? I think it's vegetarian, but I can... Yeah, I think it's vegetarian. I think they do vegetarian food, and I would bet they could adapt that for vegans as well. It gets incredibly high ratings. And you know what? I can't believe this, but I I have to check. I think I booked already for that. I have to check the date to make sure I booked it on the right day. Oh, good. I think I did that. Now, if you get to Pamplona, and if you're still good with the shared dorms in the albergues, there are several really nice albergues right inside the historic center, directly on the Camino Trail and right off the trail. And there's a municipal one called Jesus y Maria that's located inside, I think it's an old church. It's a gorgeous building. And that's a big one as well. And there are a couple of albergues in Pamplona that have these pod beds where you climb up a ladder and you have your own little pod. And many of them have curtains that you can close for privacy. And those get really high ratings as well. And there are a couple of those in Pamplona. Wow. Oh, boy. You have choices. Yes. With all of this planning and preparing that you've been doing and all your success at being resourceful, what tips would you have for other people who are getting ready to go walk the Camino? Well, I'm going to say this, but this is also reminding myself that it's going to be okay. (laughs) In other words, I have all this trying to pack the perfect stuff, but I know that If I just stop, it's all going to work out. If I'm missing something, they have stores there. If I forgot to bring something, maybe there's a good reason for it. If I brought too much, maybe there's a good reason for it. I'm just going to trust, trust that it's all going to work out at a certain point and just keep on reminding myself about that. Yeah. Oh, Oh, another tip. Check your passport. I checked mine after made reservations on my plane and made my first few reservations, I said, let me look at my passport. It had expired last year. Oh, no. Yeah. So I I got it. Okay. Right here. Phew. Well, that was close. So I'm okay now. I'm so relieved. Abby, we're talking about preparing and getting ready. One of the most important pieces of gear for the Camino is the backpack. What's your backpack story? I bought almost every, from REI, recreational equipment, I bought almost every backpack imaginable. Anything that looked like it was lightweight, I went into REI and had them fit and we got it down to three backpacks. So what I'm doing now is packing up those three backpacks, walking around the neighborhood with my poles, seeing how it feels, how it feels, and then Upon picking one or two out of those three, I'm going to walk up a couple 
hillsides, mountain kind of go up like a thousand elevation feet and see how that feels and go up and down and and make a decision. So it might not be until a week before I leave, which backpack I'm taking. (laughs) Is there a leader in the race at this point? There is. So I'm deciding between my Osprey Levity 45 liters, which I'm not going to fill it up. I'm going to, it's going to be, I probably only need 35 liters, but these are the ones that fit me the best. How big is the other one? The other one, there's a 140 liter that is hyper light, which is the lightest of them all. That is like crazy expensive, really expensive. And it's very minimal as far as features. And then the one I really liked is called Big Agnes. And they make tents and things like that. And they've come out with these backpacks. The reason I like the Big Agnes, but I don't think it's going to work because as I put everything in, the shoulders dug in a little. And that's just a bad sign so soon. But let me tell you what I love about the Big Agnes is that the back of it, you can unzip and get to your water belt bladder and fill it up easily. The other two, including the Osprey, you have to open up the top, dig in, get out the water bladder, and then go to the fountain or whatever it is and the Camino and add water to it. So I was really hoping the Big Agnes would be it because of that beautiful unzipping of to get to the bladder only. Oh, I love that. I was so excited. I think what we need is someone who has walked the Camino to design the perfect backpack. Yes. Maybe that will be you when you come back. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. One of the things that stuck out for me when you were talking about your backpack is the question of how many liters and how much they weigh. And I always had the feeling that the lighter was better, even if there was more room, because one day on the trail, and there's no way I'm overfilling a backpack. Right. That was one of my questions on the Facebook group. What liter and how much weight did you bring? And boy, I saw it anywhere from like 28 liters all the way up to 60 liters. And I was like, wow. But the most common was like 38 that was the most common 3840. And I think I'm going to have 45 because that's the ones that fit me the best. So the one that's most comfortable. Yes. And I promise you, Abby, you will not overfill that for long. I love it. Abby, you've given us so much to think about and such great ideas on how to find resources and how to approach getting ready. I just really appreciate you sharing your time with us. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Any last words you'd like to say to future pilgrims? Buen Camino. You've got to do it. Yay. Yes. Buen Camino. That's the traditional blessing or greeting for pilgrims on the trail. And I I just remember how my heart soars the first time I hear that every time I return. Well, Abby, let me say that to you. Buen Camino. I wish you a beautiful Camino journey and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk with you when you get back. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Abby from Santa Cruz, California. And now I would like to share with you this episode's top tip. This tip is specifically for those who are walking the Camino Frances 
and will be staying at either or both Refuge Orison and the Albergue in Roncesvalles. Not coincidentally, the top tip for both places has to do with their shower arrangements. First, the showers at Refuge Orison. These showers are operated by tokens. Each person gets one token, and each token will get you five minutes of water. Think about that. You have to be fast. Here's how to get the most out of that five minutes. First, unpack your toiletries and set them inside the shower stall. Then, get undressed, and then, and only then, drop in your token and push the knob to activate the water flow. The first few seconds of water may be cold, so I always wait a moment to step in, just in case. At the albergue in Roncesvalles, there are gender-specific restrooms and shower facilities on each floor at the end of the floor. When pilgrims arrive, they are checked in and assigned beds in order from one end of the floor to the other. They fill the first floor, and then the second floor, and then the third floor. Often, the first thing a pilgrim does after finding their bed is go have a shower. That means there sometimes will be a line or queue in the shower room. Here's the tip. If you're on the first floor, which is what we call the second floor in the U.S., and there's a line in your shower room, find the stairs and head up to the second floor. There's a good chance there won't be a line since the beds on that floor will not have been filled yet. Same thing if you're on the second floor and there's a line. Head down a floor and there may not be a line in that bathroom because those pilgrims have already showered. There are stairs at the same end of the floor as the bathrooms. Okay, my friends, that's it for this episode. Thank you for sharing your Camino journey with me. Bye for now. Would you like to share your story of getting ready to walk the Camino de Santiago and receive some personalized guidance on your planning and preparations? If you have not yet walked a Camino and would like to be a guest on this podcast, please email nancy at thecaminoexperience.com or go to the website thecaminoexperience.com for more information.